And Kathleen, first of all, thank you for uh, joining me this morning and uh, I hope you're keeping well in these strange times. Good morning, Nikki. Yes, thankfully, we're all keeping well. You know, obviously, uh, as you said, I think it's getting kind of difficult now on people because it's, it's, it's going on for so long, particularly kids and the uncertainty around school and the homeschooling, but thankfully, everybody in this household is... Yeah, well, that's the main thing. A question yeah. I, I put to... Uh, your colleague, constituency colleague, Deputy John McGuinness, two weeks ago. Are you managing to get to uh, the doll very often yourself, Kathleen? Because I know there's pretty regulation about how often, yeah. how many people are there. Yeah, I'm actually, to be honest, um, because of the, the mother and baby home stuff, and that falls into my area for yes. the party, and then I also chair the Eractive Committee that deals with that. So it's actually been extremely busy for me. So I've been up at least two, t- two days, if not three days a week since. Um, we went back in January, so in that sense, yeah, I, I have the opportunity to be in and, and to be raising issues. Um, so, and yeah, you, do you, do you go up? Do you go up and down each time, or do you stay up there? No, I generally go up and down. It's tough going in your yeah, yeah, yeah. Try now. I mean, having said that, there will always be occasions where you, you stay up, but yeah. for the most part, um, I come back down. It, it's the handiest way. Um, in terms of the children and routine of course, for I, them. I can understand um, that in fairness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kathleen, obviously we'll start with the the, the whole COVID scenario and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in terms of the, the government's response and I suppose when we talk about response, there's two things now, I suppose, there is the current lockdown <coughs> and it would appear that that's going to carry on for some time and also the vaccine rollout because no matter what way we look at this, the vaccine rollout is probably key uh, to at least getting some real grip on the, uh, and we don't appear to be doing too well versus our colleagues up north and uh, they had nearly uh, just over 400,000 vaccines uh, done yesterday of which 373 were first time and nearly 29,000 were second doses but is, is the slowness down here simply a question of not getting the actual vaccines into the country into the hands of the people who will administer them? I don't think so. I think um, that there's a number of things around the government's response to COVID. I know, first of all, just, I always think it is important to say that nobody can be an expert on this. I mean, it's always all very new. We've never been in a situation like this before. However, we are coming up on a full year of dealing with it. And I do think there could be a lot better measures in place and a lot more efficient measures. Like, I think certainly around um, this really bothers me around hospital capacity I don't think they've done enough to increase staff and to increase bed capacity and in particular ICU capacity that's one major issue that I think they've gotten very very wrong and then in terms of the vaccine rollout like if you look at any other country as you're saying even just in the north they just seem to be much more efficient and handling it a lot better and I don't know exactly what the issue is for us but there certainly is an issue and I don't think it's about the speed of the vaccine coming into the country. Uh, you know, I think we even saw locally there was issues with frontline staff in St. Luke's. I think some of them were, were only receiving their first dose this week. And when you think about it, it was the very last week in December that the, the vaccine came into the country. That's, that's nearly two months later that you're still having frontline staff being vaccinated. I think that I don't know why, because we, we knew this was happening. We were obviously hopeful all along of a vaccine and the creation of a vaccine. So I'm not sure why they didn't put a team in place to figure out exactly how that would be administered. Now, I think yesterday we saw the opening of some of these vaccine centres and hopefully that will help speed up the situation. But really, they should have been ready to go um, by the 1st of January because from last March, everybody was 
you know, everyone was putting their hopes on a vaccine. Will there be a vaccine? We're hoping for one. So we should have been ready to go. Um, whether that might have seemed optimistic at the time or not, I, I don't I don't think, you know, we should have been sitting sure. back. Sure, and, and the, I, I noticed the Taoiseach said yesterday that we should have 1.1 million vaccine doses administered by the end of the first quarter. Now, that means a half a million people. Now, it takes a half a million to be administered in the first quarter. We're really going to have to get the skids on for the rest of the year. Otherwise, it'll be well into next year before some people get uh, vaccinated. Yeah, and what I, what I can't understand, and I'm sure a lot of people can't understand, is we all know about the negative effects of the lockdown on people. And first of all, we, we do know we have to be extremely careful because of COVID and because of the uncertainty and the new strains. But I mean, the amount of people that are really, really suffering with mental health or with, you know, various anxieties, or then the, the amount of actual standard regular procedures or, or regular hospital administrations that have been cancelled as a result. And yet we have the solution right there staring us in the face, which is the vaccine. Do you think they would put, put in absolutely everything they can behind it to ensure that it was being administered quickly? Because that is the way that we can all get back to some level of normality and things can start opening again and all of the businesses that have been struggling, um, you know, and tourism which we have obviously seen badly hit and you know because we rely so so heavily on it of course yeah but surely, we, but surely we have to at least uh, maybe cut the government a little bit of slack here because ultimately Europe cocked up big time on this one, didn't they really? They were left in, I mean, trailing the, the, the Britain, the UK, who were way ahead of them and much smarter in terms of getting access to the vaccines. Yeah, I know. I would, I would say that there's, I wouldn't blame, I don't think you can just totally blame them. Like I said, I think as well that in many respects that you are dealing with something that, you know, they had, there hasn't been dealt with before and, may, and I'm sure, I can't even remember probably when the last mass, va- mass vaccination program was. I mean, you could be going back to the, the times of polio or, or whatever. So, yeah, there is there is an element of they're, they're not going to get everything perfectly right and I think people understand that. But I suppose, like, we were two months into when the vaccine was, was first available and it's still... It's still extremely slow. I think people could understand the first few weeks, even the first month, you know, but at this stage, you know, I think people that they were hoping to vaccinate by the end of February are now, they're, they're saying, is it April, I think, for, for a lot of people in the elderly category, for example. So those, it, it is frustrating for people, you know, and, and I think people are kind of, kind of getting to the end of their tether wishes and, and the smallest bit of bad news like that really does set people back so much. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I'd agree with you there. Kathleen, you, you referred in the, in the earlier part of this chat to the concerns as regards uh, schools opening, and we're hearing this while, while some uh, special schools have opened in the past week, uh, now the whole process around schools opening and exams is to the forefront, and the, between the teachers' union and the government, they can't seem to get a unified approach here, and I can see parents and students being ultimately very frustrated at this whole outcome at the moment. They can't just get to the bottom of this thing. Yeah, again, it's, it's it's difficult to know. I mean, particularly because we have gone through this already with one set of leaving certs last year and there was so many mistakes made there and the calculated grades, but then they, they realised a lot of people had gotten the wrong grades. So um, you think that you, you know, you're supposed to learn from these lessons. Nobody's perfect, and I don't think anyone expects um, absolutely everything to be perfect, but they do expect people who have, you know, responsibility who is the minister who is the department in this area to be working towards solutions and when they've already had this situation i mean people may or may not remember the covid committee 
that were set up by the Dáil um, last, I think it was around last April. And, you know, the idea of that was to see what we could um, do, kind of what, where we could learn, let's say, for example, like where you would not repeat the same mistakes if you were in a situation around the opening of childcare, schools, everything around COVID. And to, they don't really seem to still have, have learned the lesson. So we have students now who are already panicked, believe in certs, I often say to people, it's still, I think, the worst thing I ever I ever went through. I think that you, you're worried and stressed about the most. And then when you're out of it, you, you realise, you know, that there is, you know, you shouldn't have maybe worried as much as you did. But it's a really difficult time for students and for their parents. And parents are worried and they're after kind of getting kids to this far in school now. And yes, you have the, the people in power who, who are not making the right call on this and I think they need to be looking at, at choice and trying to see if, they, if you know people choose the calculated grade system or if people choose to want to actually do the leaving cert and I think there has to be a way for them by early June to, to actually be able to go ahead with that. Yeah I think I think choice is probably the, the simplest way out yeah, because I think going for one way or the other is just simply you're not going to get everyone to agree on going one way or the other. No I, I don't think so and I also think as well they need to kind of take into account when they're drafting the Leaving Cert papers that both last year and this year the group doing their Leaving Cert have missed out on a huge amount. So adapt the curriculum then. Don't expect that they're, they're, they're supposed to know everything and cram everything into the last few weeks. Take out certain things and adapt it because we have never been in this situation before. You know, I think that that's, that's the fairest way. Um, it's one sort of possible solution anyway and I think it, it would potentially be fair to everybody. Yeah, Kathleen you referred again also at the start of the programme about you have been very involved in dealing with the, uh, the the whole fallout and indeed the actual report uh, of the commission uh, on uh, the whole childcare abuse it was an horrendous, I didn't obviously read the report but I read quite a bit in the media about it and I think to be fair it was, uh, it was, it was very very difficult reading and for somebody like yourself that had to read it all and you're a mum yourself, it, it was harrowing reading but why did the chair of the commission refuse to attend the Oireachtas committee they've done their work and there appears to be a lot of political pressure coming on the government to revisit some of the findings in the report or maybe some findings that they feel should have been in the report yeah so I mean as people First of all, it took nearly six years for the report to actually be completed. So I think people were waiting for something that, you know, they, they felt was going to address the situation a lot better than what actually was published. And a lot of the survivors and their families and their representative groups were not just disappointed, but really kind of angered and annoyed at the report, at the way it was written, at the kind of tone of the report, at the, you know, the... the the language and the way there was an attitude that the way I always describe it throughout the report as if, oh well, sorry, these were the times we were living in, you know, and kind of dismissed the fact that it really wasn't anything to do with the times we were living in, but it was very much to do with the church and the state working together. And in many incidents, um, you know, people were literally taken from their homes at night. And that's one of the, the situations that, that people really are annoyed about regarding the report is that you have, to a certain extent, you have testimony from people, um, whether it's about how they ended up in a mother and baby institution, or then in particular around the forced adoptions. You clearly see people saying one thing, for example, they didn't know what forms they were signing, um, they didn't understand the forms that they were filling in, and then you have people maybe saying, for example, like that, they were really, a huge pressure was put on their families. You know, they're, for example, let's say you had a um, 
a young girl in a family that, that her dad might maybe being told, well, your job will be, you lose your job if you don't agree to send her in here. So that was then the kind of, let's say, the testimony. And then the conclusion, for example, was that there was no evidence of forced adoptions. So when you read through, even if you just read the forced adoptions part, it's, it's testimony after testimony about people, first of all, either not understanding at all what they were um, signing. Like there, there's one story in there about a, a lady who believes she's signing a form in relation to a payment, like a, a potential social welfare payment. And it turned out then actually those were the adoption papers. Sure. But so, does, does this not point, I mean, I know this is just one particular inquiry, but it has yeah. often puzzled me, Kathleen, when, when commissions are being set up and the composition of people on those commissions, while I have no problem with eminent judges being on them, but there's often an, an absence of, of, of people who, who, who are, are down at ground level, who maybe have some understanding of the of the human side of things. I'm not going to be the little the judges know, said they exactly. don't understand the human side of things but yeah. you don't want to have judges and academics running every damn commission in the country get yeah. some ordinary people on the MOOC yeah. who can bring a sense of how the man on the street or on the ground is, is feeling about these matters yeah no I, 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 I 100% know what you mean and and actually one of the things when it was Catherine Zippone was the minister when, when the commission was set up or actually sorry it was set up the year before she became minister but she then became the, she was the minister let's say for a lot of us and she actually set up a group that was called the Collaborative Forum that actually comprised of um, maybe mothers who had been forced into the homes or children who were adopted out. So it was like, it was a group that, you know, that was supposed to be like the consultation group. And they would say that they, were, they weren't consulted with very often. And a lot of the stuff that they had recommended, because they did their own report and, and recommendations in 2018, that that wasn't listened to. And that... Like, that's why, as well, we wanted to have somebody from the Commission come in and talk to the Committee. There's so many questions, and they're the only ones that can answer. And and what's going to happen now? What's the next stage of the process, Kathleen? Well, she has refused um, to come into the Committee, um, and we we do have the Minister coming in this Tuesday, and... um, That's Roderick O'Gorman, yeah. Yeah, and, like, there obviously now will have to be... You know, there's a, there's a responsibility on him now that, like, the commission is supposed to be dissolved on the 28th of February, but, like, there's so many unanswered questions. There's an argument there that, you know, they really need to to um, be, be stay in existence until some of these questions are answered. Now I'm not talking about staying in existence forever, but just even for an extra few weeks while they, they, they kind of get to the bottom of some of this, because the other situation as well is they have um, started... You know, destroy like destroying testimony and destroying cer- certain records, and there's a question mark over that in relation to kind of GDPR. So That's there's a lot of kind of very serious things that I think they need to deal with, and the, the questions that need to be answered before they exercise just sail off into. Yeah, well, as well as that, then, the women involved here, many of them are, are, are elderly as well, and uh, yes, exactly. sadly, I don't mean to be cr- crass about it, but the time is running out for some of them. That's exactly it. You're 100% right, and you know, it's Kind of some of the recommendations around redress and around enhanced medical cards, they they do need to be acted upon. Now there was there's there's issues with them as well because they were they're trying to limit the redress to people who were in the homes pre 1973, and then they they want um, conditions on what they call this enhanced medical card that you would have to have been in a home for a full six months, whereas a lot of women or maybe there for kind of four to five months, they just would have fallen outside of that. So there are two things that the committee is actually open to address around not having a time frame on the, the, the six months for the medical cards and by including all women 
in the redress scheme. You know, the argument around the 1973 is apparently that was when Ireland introduced um, a single parent allowance. But yet, you still there's there's huge evidence of in, in the 70s and, and even into the 80s of women being forced into these institutions. So it's unfair to um, to exclude a, a bunch of women from that scheme on that basis. Yeah, and Kathleen, before I let you go, last, just have just about a half a minute. Behal Martin not going to uh, America, is that uh, the right decision? I know the decision was probably made, to be fair, in the White House rather than, uh, rather than in Dublin anyway. Are we, yeah. going to, are we going to miss out on opportunity or uh, will it be picked up again in a year's time or maybe six yeah, months' I think time? Doing, I think he's doing the right thing. I think it, it would have been impossible for him to stand over any further lockdowns or further restrictions or, or anything that they say in relation to travel if he if he had went to Washington for Patrick's Day. And I think that this is obviously, a, you know, a very different situation than we're normally in. And I think the vast majority of people would understand that. Um, and I think for himself, definitely, um, it was the, the, the right decision to make. And I think certainly... Uh, he wouldn't have had any credibility if he was to, to fly off to Washington while telling everybody else to make sure you, you stay within a 5km radius. So I th- definitely think the, the right thing was done. And I think any opportunities that normally come out of that for us will, will still be there because I think this is a, this is a unique situation. It's not like he's refusing an invitation or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Kathleen, I do appreciate you taking the time. You stay safe with Sean and the children, and uh, we'll be talking to you again in, uh, well, however, down the road sometime. I'm sure we'll, there'll be some reason to have a chat with you. Look, take care, and uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks very much.